We are in First and Second Kings tonight. You know, in this series, I don't know whether you like it or not. I kind of like, I've had fun with it, but it's, uh, we've been saying three things about certain books. I'm going to change it a little bit because First and Second Kings are so, uh, it's so strange. It's got some, it's got so much that happens in it, so many characters and so many stories that you can't say three things that encapsulate that, encapsulate that book. You've got all the Elijah and Elisha stuff. You've got the good kings like Hezekiah and, and Josiah. You've got the bad kings like Manasseh and Ahab and all those great stories that are in there. And you just can't do justice to it. So we're going to attack it this way. Three verses and uh, three answers from the book of Kings, which I really think kind of encapsulates what the book was supposed to be. Um, 400 years of time between David, it begins with David, the last couple of years of David, last few years to Jehoiakim, the uh, united mon- monarchy, and then it divides, and then it becomes um, just Judah alone. So you've got the united mon- monarchy under David, that's where it starts, and then, of course, the, it breaks into north and south, right? And so the north, during that, those times, from 931 to 722, a couple hundred years there, uh, 19 kings reign, nine different dynasties, and how many of them are good? Not one. They're awful, every single one of them. Uh, the South, on the other hand, they also had 19 kings, but one dynasty. They were all from whose family? Had to be in the line of David, right? So that's the South, that's Judah and um, at that time, 931 to 586, they lasted a little long. And then, of course, we know Judah alone from 722 to 586, that's the end of the story. And then, of course, they go into Babylonian captivity. That's all in the book of First and Second Kings. Now, here's three verses. Here's three verses that I, w- I, I couldn't pick one memory verse, right? So we're going to pick three of them. And I want you to tell me, feel free to just spout out this, right? Tell me what this is from. First Kings 18.21 Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. How does the rest of the story go? (laughs) You know, Gary Buck, in two words, answers the question. He's never answered that short in his life for anything. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Baal lost, right? You have all the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, and then you got Elijah, and that's it, and the fire that answers from heaven. Here's the interesting thing, and I love to make this with young people. This is about the sin of dancing. Uh, that word limping, how long we go limping between different, it's really the word for dancing. Later on in chapter 18, it's what the false prophets are doing the prophets of Baal are doing, trying to get their God to answer. They're dancing around the, the place that's supposed to be lit on fire. And so it's the word dancing. And, and the idea is this. When they're with Baal, they're with Baal. When they're with Yahweh, they're with Yahweh. When they're with this God, they're with this God. Do you get the idea of dancing? I'm doing the Texas two-step or three-step or however many God. Wherever I'm at, that God's in effect. They can't make up their mind, nail their foot to the floor. And, and I'll say to young people, this is the problem when you have... When you have one way of behavior at school, one way of behavior with your friends, one way of behavior with your parents, one way at church, you're dancing too. And you need to quit dancing. You need to make up your mind who you are, right? And that's really the issue with Elijah. You guys just make up your mind who you're going to serve. And, of course, they do make up their minds. The way this story is resolved is not just by the fire. It's when the fire 
the fire comes down and licks everything up. The people then make the decision, we're with God, and what do they do with the false prophets of Baal? Yeah, they kill them. They kill the alternatives. So make up your mind. It's a great memory verse, 1 Kings 18, 21. Verse number two, uh, probably the best line from a prophet in all of Scripture, and it's not from one that you normally think of, Micaiah. This is 1 Kings twenty two fourteen. Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that will I speak. Can you remember what the context was? Two kings talking to each other. The king says, I, I, really, I really want to go fight, but I want to know, Jehoshaphat said, I want to know what God's prophets say. And all the prophets said the same thing, but he knew that King Ahab had his own prophets in his pocket. He had them paid, right? And so all these prophets saying the same thing, I want to know what God says. And so Micaiah is brought in. And Micaiah is told by the one who fetched him. Now, everyone else is saying this, and we're telling you, you give this answer. And Micaiah looks at him and says, you know what answer I'm going to give? I'm going to give whatever answer God tells me to give him. What a great line. What a great line. And the answer that God told him to give was exactly like everybody else. It's a wonderful story. It's so that Ahab will go into fighting and be killed. It's a great, great story, but this line is so good. You know what answer I'm going to give? Whatever the Lord says. Great line. Great, great thing. Good memory verse. And then finally, 2 Kings 22, 2, my favorite king. We had a family here who's had a son named Josiah <coughs> this morning. I looked at him and said, that's my favorite king. I'm glad you're here. Josiah. And this is Josiah, the only, one, the only king really that we don't know anything bad about. The guy was just a great king. And here's what it says. Do you remember how old he was when he became king? Anybody remember? Eight years old. <coughs> that gives me the weebie-jeebies. Any eight-year-old in charge of a country, right? And this is what it says of him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He only cared what God thought. He walked in all the way of David, his father. He didn't even know David. David had been dead for years, but he knew David was good. And he did not turn else aside to the right or the left. He didn't waver from one direction or the other. He stayed right in the middle. That's a great line. It's a great line for people to know. It's a great verse uh, to memorize. Okay, the point of this book seems to be that each king uh, is described and is evaluated according to how closely they walked. <coughs> Excuse me. How closely they walked with God. Uh, so if it's, it, when it comes to the end and their legacy, all these presidents want to know what their legacy is going to be. The legacy of the kings was, how closely did you walk with God? And if they walked closely, he was a good king. If he didn't, he was terrible. And as, as their worship of God was, so was the nation. Um, and God fulfilled this promise to David. Three answers. Answer number one. Here's the first question. What in the world happened to Solomon? What in the world happened to Solomon? As the story starts, there's such potential, isn't there? He, um, he has a great example to follow. David, who's a great king, and he calls him in and says, Son, here's how you can have a great reign. You just do what God tells you to. So it's a great uh, example to follow. He has an abundance of divine wisdom that God blessed him with. And God and him talk. 
Two or three times in his life, God comes to him and they have a conversation. So he's close with God, he has divine wisdom, and he has a great example to follow in David. It's just so promising. You're like, this is like the glory days. Here comes the golden years of Israel. What happened? Okay, so who wants to answer? Too many women. These short answers are good tonight. You're right. Too many women. In particular, too many foreign women. So 1 Kings 11, if you'll turn there, 1 Kings chapter 11. We will turn to a few passages while we do this, but 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh, that's been the downfall of a lot. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite, all the nations Israel was to drive out of the promised land. He loves all their women. The very reason he told them to get rid of them, because he knew it would be a thorn in his side. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they be with you, for surely they will turn your heart after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. They were beautiful. So he had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. God, as was the heart of, his, of David, his father. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. So no longer is it just that he's after these foreign women, he's after their gods by the end of his life. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so Solomon did what was evil, and the eyes of the Lord did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. And he built even high places to be able to worship them. So when we stress to our kids, be careful who you marry, we ain't kidding, are we? Jump to verse 9, that same chapter of 1 Kings 11. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, you shall not, and you have not kept my covenant my statutes that I have commanded you, I will tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. So he loved foreign women in various ways. He worshipped foreign gods. And then we have this illusion in 1 Kings 12. We'll get to that in a minute. That he didn't treat the people of Israel well. He overtaxed them as a means to keep up all his building stuff. All these ambitions he had. So what happened to Solomon? Women and his heart was drifting away from God and he abused the people and all of a sudden, this great promise of David was still kept. God kept it, but he stripped ten of the tribes away. Now there's only two. So what caused the division? That's question number two. Ultimately, if you're in chapter 11, uh, now skip down to verse 29. Jeroboam comes, uh, becomes king. At that time, verse 29 of 1 Kings 11, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah the Silonite found him on the road. Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and two of them were alone on the open country. So him and a prophet of God were traveling together. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one. For the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen out of all the tribes, I'm going to keep my promise to David. 
but it won't be all the 12 tribes. It'll just be two. Because you remember, he said, your people still have to follow my ways. So God did this. They've forsaken me. They've worshipped Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they've not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes, my rules that David, my father, did. But I won't take the whole kingdom. He'll still have two. It was from God, but it was also because of Rehoboam. Can anybody remember when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who, when he took the throne, it was still a united tribe, united, united um, kingdom. Do you remember the issue that caused the division? Anybody remember what it was? Taxes. So if you remember Rehoboam, I love telling this in the context of an independent living devotional, right? I did this first time I was at the village. Uh, the need for the older people to bear witness to their past. Because what Rehoboam does, he comes and he gets these people together and says, what, should I, what kind of king should I be? And the older people who'd lived a long time under Solomon's high taxation said, you want, to, you want to have the nation's affection? Lower these taxes. Be gracious and merciful and kind and give a break to these older people who've been taxed. And then he gets the young people together. And can you remember what the young people said? Tax them more. Show them your muscle. I've got more muscle in my pinky than, than my father had in his whole body, right? And so, of course, he, got, he thought about all this, thought about it, through it, and he brings the nation together, and what does he say? He went with the young people, right? And it split the kingdom in, heaven, in, in, in half. Rehoboam's arrogance, not listening to people, caused the division. Question number three, what led to the captivity? For this one, if you would, turn to 2 Kings 23. I could talk about... Um, Josiah all night. I'm not going to do that because Becky's looking at me weird already. Uh, 2 Kings 23, Josiah, eight-year-old king, when he was eight, his year number eight, he sought God with all his heart. Uh, I think his 16th year, he purged the land of everything that was bad. 23rd year, he repaired the temple and he just kept, he kept doing things to get the people closer. And while they, were, while they were repairing the temple, what did they find? You remember? The book of the law of the Lord. Somehow it had gotten displaced and lost and uh, under a bunch of rubble and back of some books on a bookshelf somewhere. And, and they read this thing to him. And he immediately tore his clothes and sackcloth and ashes and he started repenting, right? And it was a beautiful thing. Second Kings chapter 23, beginning verse 26. Still the Lord did not turn back from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I've removed Israel, and I will cast off this city as I've chosen Jerusalem, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. Josiah, it's not going to be during your lifetime because I appreciate what you've done, God says. But it's too little too late. Because of what happened under Manasseh. Now to understand what happened under Manasseh, go back to chapter 21, 2 Kings 21. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. 
He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He rebuilt the high places Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He went back and repaired all those evil kings' actions, worshipped all the hosts of heaven, served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. Even in their own temple, he built altars to other gods. He was terrible. And the people let him. And for years, this went on. Idolatry. Idolatry is the answer to this question. You know what led to God just saying, I'm done with my people, you're out of here? They wouldn't be devoted to him, and they kept going back and back and back to idolatry. Now, idolatry is still around today, but it doesn't look the same. <laughs> At Kenneth, they used to say, are you into idolatry? And they meant, they meant don't go to Dollar Tree is what they thought because, I'm, because that's a, because it, they say that real fast and it sounds like idolatry. Uh, in, in the New Testament, what's called idolatry? We don't think of it very often. Here's one, Ephesians 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sexual immorality is idolatry. How is sexual immorality idolatry? You're worshiping a created being, acting like sexual behavior with a particular person. That's your craving, and that's what dr that drives every ambition of your life, and you go in pursuit of it. And because of that, you're making a created being a god, which is idolatry. Covetous. I want stuff. How is that idolatry? You're turning something God created into something that you will live your life for. Idolatry is not bowing down to a wooden image. It's by letting anything other than God be the one who calls the shots of your life. And in our world today, sexual immorality is number one. Materialism would have to be right up there with it. It's just give me more stuff, give me more technology, give me more toys, give me more stuff. And it's, I, I, I'll, I'll even forsake the worship of God on Sunday in order to use my toys to go do what I want to do and, and recreation that I want to do. And I will, I will break every law and every rule of morality to pursue whatever sexual exploit I want. That's called idolatry. God's not calling the shots of your life. Something else is. And the New Testament doesn't refrain from this at all. Next screen. These lists are often, we miss this, but they're put in categories. The, the, the listing of sins, they're related to each other. Now, So notice where it's put on here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality. Now put all those together. You've got sexual morality, adulterers, Men who practice sexual homosexuality and idolatry is right in there with them. All that sexual stuff, letting your sex drive and your fellow man determine what you're going to do, that's idolatry. 
Again, he's putting that in there to say these are all related. He goes on to describe another category when he says thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Those are, those are all, but idolatry he put in the middle of all those sexual sins. That's just interesting. Next screen. Turn, if you will, and this is going to be the last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Great chapter in the New Testament. Probably if you have the same heading I do. It's a warning against what? It's yours at the beginning of chapter 10. Say warning against idolatry. And then in verse 14 he says, Therefore, my beloved, after everything he said in verse 13, first 13 verses, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is what got Israel every time in the Old Testament. It is always the Achilles heel. And notice what he says. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Their baptism in the Old Testament was when they went through the waters of the Red Sea, even though they didn't get wet. They went through the Red Sea, and that was their baptism. That was their introduction to a life with God that separated their life in the past. What was back there? Egypt, slavery, all that. What's ahead? Their new life. And what's in between? A big body of water. And while they didn't get wet, as soon as they got through it, that old life that was trying to follow them got drowned in it. This is a baptism. They got their baptism just like you do. All right. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They had their communion. No, it wasn't like we have communion, but it was they, they ate spiritual food every morning, went out and got that cracker, that cracker called manna, right? And then when they really needed something out, that water from the rock, they, they drank and communed with God, just like your Lord's, they had the same thing. Don't think that because you've been baptized and you, do, you take the Lord's Supper and you have communion with God, that you are somehow immune, inoculated against all kinds of sin. Because notice he says, verse four, 5, Nevertheless, despite their baptism and their spiritual feasting with God, nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, they were overthrown in the wilderness. They still lost. These things took place as examples that we won't desire evil. Don't desire what you should not desire. Don't be idolaters, verse 7. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Don't indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Don't put Christ your Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Don't grumble, as some of them did. When you grumble, it's a form of idolatry, too. These things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction. They are an example. They had the benefits and privileges of being communing with God and a life with God, and yet they still found their hearts drifting off to idolatry. So, he says, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be very careful that you don't think that I've got it made and spiritually nothing can harm me because idolatry is always the Achilles heel of God's people. So, no temptation has overtaken you. It's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but temptation will provide a way of escape 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is alive and well today. And most people today, if you were to ask me, what is going to cost most Americans their souls? It's probably going to be sexual immorality. It's probably going to be greed and materialism for our American way of life. This was not talking about worldly people. This was talking about God's own people who saw amazing things and experienced the deliverance of God and communed with God through the wilderness, and yet the stuff all around them, we want to be like all the other nations, we want to do exactly what they do, was always there, and it cost them. So God's original call that Israel be holy as God is holy and to be a kingdom of priests for the world to teach them what God's like instead instead of being priests to the world they became worldly priests of God and they lost exact same warning that God gives in Hebrews the same problem in all the letters the first two the chapters two and three of Revelation every single church struggled with this is becoming just like the world and if we become just like the world god will treat us just like the world and we don't want that so he says come out of her my people and be separate and to me that is what kings is about as they continued to be as much like the world as they could be they were shipped off into into captivity and when they learned their lesson they got to come back we'll get to that in later books But that's the story of the three verses and the three answers from Kings. Let's pray together. Father, we do um, find ourselves grateful for you recording the honest truth about your people. This book that you've left us behind is not glossed over the flaws of your people. You chose to be blatantly honest about their mistakes. And it's very easy for us to look at them and say they're just obstinate, stubborn people who just wouldn't conform to the plan that God had for them. And we can say that. That's true. But Father, it's an x-ray machine when we look at them. It's a way for us to analyze our own selves and be careful that we don't do the same because it's, it is a constant tendency to want to be like the people we're around. But Father, we know where our citizenship lies. We know where we are de- determined to be and where we have been placed by you by your grace and that's where we want to be and anything that would cause us to fall any bit short of that father we pray you'll remove from us help us to flee from idolatry help us not to waver between all the opinions but nail our feet to the floor and say we're going to be God's people we're going to serve him and we're not going to exchange him for some created thing that gives momentary pleasure, but eternal separation from you. May we be reminded, Father, and may your word always be reminding us to want to do what is right in your sight, to follow the good examples you give in your word, and to not waver to the right or to the left. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll lead us just that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.